Today, uh, January 28th, of course, marks Data Privacy Day. Data privacy, significant in, in pretty much every Western country, particularly significant in Ireland, given that much of the responsibility for the data of European citizens um, lies with the Irish Data Protection Commissioner, given the overabundance of significant tech companies that we have um, in this country. And it comes uh, at the end of a period where we've seen further significant fines, particularly against Meta, running into the hundreds of millions uh, when you add up Meta, Instagram and um, the fines given to WhatsApp as well, the all, of course, parent companied by Meta. Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner, is with us. And you, you've obviously spoken a fair bit before about the individual fines and the legal logic in relation to the data processing. But as we look now, as it begins to tick up towards the billion and even beyond when you add it all together, what are the trends emerging and how concerned are you about those trends? So the trends that are emerging, I suppose, are that close to five years into GDPR application, we're probably starting to conclude that there was a little bit more business as usual than we had anticipated uh, with the advent of the GDPR. Because what we're seeing in the enforcement cases that we've taken are that there are certainly organisational and technical measures to protect the security of data lacking and have been lacking. We see that in fines we've imposed for breaches of the security provisions of GDPR. But in some of the recent cases that you've referenced as well, in particular in respect of Instagram, We've seen that there's been a failure to apply the principles of data protection by design and default. So when a user comes onto a platform, they should be able to anticipate that they won't have to spend the first hour after they sign up unticking boxes and switching very permissive defaults back to more conservative settings in terms of how their data is made public or used. But but to some extent, is that not going to be an unavoidable tension? Because within the tech giants, there are those who make their money from subscriptions and from direct sales, like an Apple or a Netflix. And there are those who make their money from their insight into you and their capacity to monetize it through advertising, a la uh, Meta and to some extent Google. Does that mean that there is always going to be a constant wrestle between the Data Protection Commission in Ireland and across Europe and those big tech giants? Oh, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, remember, as I've said before, there's no federal data protection law, a comprehensive law like the GDPR in the US. So when these platforms moved into Europe and began to build up users 2010, 2011 uh, and onwards, there was no filter on the platform as exported from the US. And so we saw issues that later transpired, like Cambridge Analytica, where data of users on the platform was being, quote unquote, harvested. In the uh, most extraordinary way in the in the Cambridge Analytica case. By virtue of those users being connected with, with friends on the platform that, that had their settings open in a certain way. So we, we've seen what was exported and that there has always been a type of reverse engineering to make these platforms fit with EU principles, norms and laws. And I think and you're... Sorry to cut across you, but do, do you think those platforms see you and see those norms and laws as a, an, an anachronistic throwback and, be, uh, and desperately trying to be conservative in a world that isn't? No, I, I, I don't actually. And of course, 
they can answer for themselves on this, but it's certainly not my perception. I think there is a respect for EU laws. I think there is a recognition that the commercial realities you're talking about and the way in which their business models work, which is making money out of insights, out of collecting more and more personal data on individuals, targeting them, profiling them so that they can target target more accurately. Equally on the flip side, they know, leave aside any enforcement or data protection laws, if they lose the trust of users, if they get into a space where users are surprised in a negative way by what has happened to their data, the business model will no longer be sustainable. So they're already, I suppose, on board to a certain extent. And then, of course, uh, the laws, as enforced by the Irish Data Protection Commission, you mentioned we levied over a billion uh, in fines through enforcement actions last year. Um, That is making them sit up and come to uh, a a deeper understanding, I suppose, of what is required uh, under the GDPR. Now, explain one bit of that to me, because in many instances, as we've seen currently, the the subject of the fines have decided to appeal. Meta, as case in point, are appealing um, both the, the reasoning of the fines and the scale of the fines as recently applied. Is that, in your view, a fair fight? Because however well-resourced you are in Ireland, you are being appealed by an entity that has a market cap of a third of a trillion dollars. They have a lot of money to spend on lawyers. Oh, I think it is a fair fight because I I think the Irish High Court will treat both parties equally and uh, the law will be applied. Um, If you think about previous fights, to use your terminology, that we've engaged in with Facebook, the DPC has come out on top. In 2016, we made an application to the High Court to seek a reference to the Supreme Court of Europe, the CJEU. That was opposed all along the way in the High Court by Facebook. Once the High Court had ruled it was going to make the reference, they appealed to the Supreme Court And they lost in both cases um, and were liable for costs. So we are able to stand up because we're applying the law. Uh, It it doesn't mean we're right in every case uh, and and it doesn't mean they're not going to challenge and that they're not going to win on some points. But I, I think the fight is fair. Well, explain one aspect of that thing of not right in every case, because the, the, one of the most recent decisions that you have made, again pertaining to uh, Meta and the significant fines, you found yourself in, in a position where you were out of step, I think is a fair way to characterise it, with the your European cohort, the 47 members of, of the European um, Data Protection Board, and you have found yourself in a position where you are effectively taking them to court. Why? So I, I think probably a lot of your listeners know the form of one-stop shop that regulates multinationals under the GDPR is quite complex and it's certainly very novel. It was a political and economic compromise made in 2016 by the member states to get the GDPR over the line and adopt it into law. So when I come to the conclusion of an investigation, which I may have been conducting over two or three years, a detailed investigation, I have to present a draft of my decision to all 47 other EEA authorities. And any one of them on any matter in my detailed uh, draft decision can object. And provided it meets a threshold of being relevant and reasoned, uh, I must follow that objection. 
And, and in this instance, not wishing to overlay man's terms, they came back and said, find them more and start again and do a bigger investigation. So not quite. You've skipped a couple of steps there. And this, this is kind of important to answer your question of why we're taking a legal action. So, so the individual, 47 individual authorities may object. A small percentage of them did object. In fact, this was, these investigations were the cases where we had the most objections, 10 uh, uh, authorities objected. Still a majority were in agreement. Um, and if we cannot follow those objections, perhaps because they contradict one another, then we must trigger this dispute resolution mechanism under the GDPR. And that's where the European Data Protection Board steps in. It is largely a coordination body of all of the EU data protection authorities, but it has a very limited circumscribed binding decision-making power. And that relates to deciding on the disputes about the objections. And the reason why we are seeking an annulment of an element of their decision is that they stepped beyond the role that the EDPB has under the GDPR and took it upon itself to issue binding directions to us to open very broad investigations and to tell us how to do them. I remember many years ago I bought a book that was provided to Japanese school children at the age of 9 through 11 called What is Quantum Physics? Because I thought <laughs> if it's a primary school explanation I'll be able And within about four or five pages I realised it's still quantum physics I still don't understand it. Is there an element of the same that the sheer complexity of of the stuff that you are dealing with when you, when you look at not just the complexity of the law around the Data Protection Acts and all of the rest of it but the fact that you are one of 40-odd regulators around Europe. Is the current setup fit for purpose? And what will your role be in the next generation as we move into legislation in relation to things like AI in relation to broader security? So I I, I think it's very challenging and I think there are problems with the one-stop shop as it's been operationalised because you and I are talking today about some of the very large-scale investigations we've conducted with big fines and the hundreds of millions. A lot of what our office deals with are complaints from individuals. So, for example, you might lodge a complaint with us that you're seeking to shut down your account on a platform uh, and you're having difficulty ensuring all of your data is deleted. In those kind of smaller individual complaints, we're still... Um, stuck with this process where we must transmit a draft decision about your little, little complaint that is transmitted then to all of the other authorities and all of them can have an opinion on on an issue that essentially could really be amicably resolved very quickly uh, as between... But that's uh, not an exaggerated example. That, One person's complaint about their individual treatment gets circulated with that's every what regulator. the GDPR says. If, if it's an issue that is cross-border in nature... Uh, and uh, it may be the type of issue that affects data subjects in all member states. So it's very heavy um, in in terms of how it operationally works. And I suppose if you think of um, accession states to the EU, if it gets any bigger, uh, it's it's simply going to. I'm I'm not sure how sustainable it would be that it would it would grow any bigger. In in terms of the new suite of EU uh, digital regulation. Um, it's it's not clear yet because the Irish government has choices to make what roles as a competent authority might be assigned to the Data Protection Commission under the AI Act. You mentioned some of the bigger new acts coming in, the Digital Services Act, 
It's clear the government has made a decision. The new media commission will be the coordinator on that. That new law regulates content to a large extent. And then the Digital Markets Act is really a competition law instrument and largely the consumer. But does the Venn diagram not overlap hugely between all of those? Oh, it does. I mean, if you look at the Digital Services Act and look at the provisions around dark patterns, around targeting of children with advertising, around special category data, it does. But the purpose of the laws and the aim is different. It's still it's still possible to distinguish them in a coherent way, but it takes a little bit of study. But they do overlap. But let's go back as, as case in point. You mentioned Cambridge Analytica. If you look at what Cambridge Analytica did, the scraping of data from Facebook, I, I use scraping in the broadest terms, but the accessing of data using Facebook friends to be able to categorise people and therefore to be able to sway elections. On one half of that, there is a privacy issue. On the other half of it, there is a public policy and democratic issue. But there is nobody, I assume, no entity responsible for that total action or that type of action currently, is there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, for example, in Ireland, there's a new electoral commission being established. And given you brought up the Cambridge Analytica example, it will have responsibility in due course now once it's commenced for... um, enforcing rules around political advertising on social media platforms. So you've got data protection authorities, you've consumer authorities, competition authorities, telecoms regulators, electoral authorities, all regulating these platforms. There is a debate to be had about do you put one big super enforcer Uh, that enforces platforms in place. There's going to be pros and cons to doing that. I can can certainly see significant arguments as to why you wouldn't. And remember, if you look at data protection alone, since it's Data Protection Day, um, the GDPR isn't a law to regulate platforms. It's a general purpose, technology neutral law. It doesn't mention social media or internet platforms. It's there to regulate everything and that's the role of my office. Which I assume must be a frustration for you because I, I, I can only guess that a lot of the complaints that you receive are complaints about behaviours around which you have no remit. So we would get a lot of complaints from individuals about content that others post on social media. Um, and... They're very difficult to resolve because it's almost impossible to know if you post an ugly photo of me, uh, whether uh, <laughs> you've, you've, you've infringed my rights or not, or whether it's reasonable in the context of, of, of why you m- might have posted that content. So, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of areas of human behaviour that some of the laws simply can't regulate in a very direct way. One of the areas that you are quite focused on, and you mentioned it earlier on in relation to the targeting of children with advertising, is ad tech. And there is a lot of discussion about um, ad tech and the future of it. Given the other risks that exist, whether it be um, child pornography, whether it be um, identity theft, criminality, fraud, all of the other things, why does ad tech matter? Ad tech matters, I suppose, because of its impacts on our freedom and autonomy as individuals to go about our business without being constantly surveilled. So ad tech, of course, uh, that, that sector is aiming to profile us in such detail that it can sell advertising 
uh, at a high price to advertisers who know uh, it's likely to convert into a sale because they've got you spot on. And sure, what harm? Isn't that great that they're advertising the <laughs> they right stuff I'm to me? They know looking for a pair of runners and in what colour and when and how and, and why. Um, and I suppose going about your daily business, having everything about you tracked, uh, every move you make online does affect our uh, thinking in terms of decision making, uh, in terms of what we might search for on the internet in the knowledge that that it's going to track and profile. So I think there are concerns. I think also, of course, the overlap of that ad tech business model into the political sphere, because political advertising uh, operates off the same model. Uh, and that means of micro-targeting individuals where you're seeing something different than I am because you're profiled in a different way and we're both being shoved into different rabbit holes and experiencing uh, and the world differently but thinking we, the we world differently and maybe in a way that's harmful to us despite the fact that uh, it's the orientation that we're leaning towards Final thing to ask you the, the chap who wrote the book the Cambridge Analytica uh, whistleblower whose name eludes me Noah Wyer or something Wiley yeah. Wiley correct he at the end of it describes the way that he lives and he says that he has a laptop that has never been connected to the internet and never will and he has a lead line box at his hall and everybody who comes in has to put the phone in it and close it so that he can't be tracked do you have to do the same or can you be on social media I've often quoted Bruce Schneier he's, he's a U US uh, encryption expert and, and he's a very interesting book he's a couple of very interesting books but um, Data and Goliath in particular uh, I have always found very instructive and he talks about the fact that there are lots of little ways in everyday life you can avoid being tracked paying with cash rather than paying electronically um, taking a different route uh, to work or to wherever you're going so that you're, you're, you're not predictable and passing the same cameras and so on. But he said at a certain point, you have to live your life and you have to perhaps consider drawing a line at going out with a brown bag over your head. Uh, and he talks about the choices he makes. So he says he's not on social media, but he does sign up to airline loyalty programs because that's important to him. Uh, to fly comfortably and so on. So, no, I don't. I d- we all have to live our lives. It's a matter of balance. It's a matter of being aware of the risks, managing the risks and uh, keeping it in perspective. Helen Dixon, thank you very much. That is Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner. If you want to get in touch with the show, 53106 at a cost of 30 cent.